VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, what's up, Pals fans? Uh, thanks to those of you who are joining us on the Locker Room app today. For those of you who may not know, the Locker Room app is a free and fun opportunity for you to talk to athletes, members of the media, or even open up your own group chats and debate the hottest and latest topics in sports. If there's a crazy buzzer beater, find tons of people who want to react to it instantly in Locker Room. All you got to do is download the free app on your iOS device. I'm so sorry to anyone on an Android. I promise you they are working on that update. You can follow me. You can follow Chris Connor. You can set up your notifications, and then you'll know exactly when we go live. All right, back to the show. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Nice. Uh, thanks, everybody, so much for joining us. Sorry it took us a second to get going. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. If anybody has a question, wants to speak, you can just throw something in the chat or you can do a request to speak. I'm still very, very new at this, so I'm going to rely a lot of this uh, on Chris for some help. Chris, basically, I just wanted to talk about the article and just go through some of David Griffin's decisions. And you tell me if I'm full of it or if it was a questionable decision. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, we'll start off. I added an honorable mention. Uh, I'll probably get the most, well, I don't know if I'll get the most flack for this one. It was basically Christian Wood. Um, you know, he played eight games over the end of the 2019 season. Per 36, his numbers were, were off the charts, but again, he's defensive liability. So we weren't certain he was going to become the player that he is now. But I mean, we should have given him a, a flyer at 1.6 million non guaranteed. We didn't have to waive him, and we did. And we never really knew what happened to this day, Chris. What do you think about that one? Um, I, I mean, I mean, we see players, you know, a lot of time in, in his situation, uh, on bad teams in the game or in the season have, you know, re- really good performances. Um, you know, I mean, let's go with Houston, for example, you know, they have a bunch of different guys on 10 day deals or players that we haven't seen, um, play as well as they did on the stat sheet. Christian Wood is just so happens to play on that team. And we've, now, now, now we end up finding out that he is a really good basketball player. Um, I I think what's interesting about it, you know, I mean, at worst, you should have made it. Um, I think you should have presented a situation or opportunity for him at least to be in a situation around training camp to where there's a battle going on versus, you know, um, Nicola Melli. Um, I tried to understand it then. You know, Jalil Okafor had played really well the year before um, for, you know, his uh, filling in for Anthony Davis. I mean, there were there were a bunch of different situations, I think, that were in play with that particular with that particular position. But you did feel feel as if you lacked depth. And I, I, I mean, whether or not you believe that it was a contract situation or he was just strictly he was pissed off about what his role was going to be and wanted and wanted a, a for sure opportunity to play minutes. He felt as if he had earned it. Um, I don't blame Griff too much for that because I mean, did anyone see a guy that that could average close to 20 and 10? Um, you know, it's really hard in those situations to know what kind of player you have based off playing, you know, 
minutes for uh you know a team that's a lottery bound team a high lottery bound team um with a bunch of other guys that don't necessarily have a future with the team going forward nice all right so we'll put full of it for that one because at the time there there was no way of knowing that he'd become this you know blossoming star that we see in houston now bryce says i'm full of it uh i i take it buddy uh thanks so much for joining us and for getting involved in the chat waka waka wakanda is here which i'm so excited about james and kevin we'll get to number 12 now chris and i think this might be the most uh hotly debatable one because at the beginning of the year deandre hunter looked like a surefire all-star prospect i mean he was blowing it up uh he his offensive prowess would exceeded that of our expectations initially. He had a 34 point outburst against the Bucks, but of course, then he got hurt. And of course, we've had some some big splashy games from Nikhil and from um, Jackson Hayes. So this one is still left out there, but I thought you had to include it because it was a number four overall pick. So it it has to be in the discussion, but it's it's too early to to know whether or not that was a good decision or not. What's your take on it? Like you said, I mean it's. It's still, I mean, the jury's still out. Um, now, I don't think it's it's a question. If DeAndre Hunter is healthy, you know, you'd rather, especially with this team or just with the, where the league is right now with, with guys that play his type of, you know, his, his, his role, the flexibility that he offers and how he's continued to grow his offensive game. I mean, there's no question if you could have him. I mean, I think you'd rather have him than, than Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but you know, we also have to look at it and say both of those guys made positive strides. Um, you know, Nikhil at the end of the season and right before the um, the All Star break was playing, I think, really good basketball on both sides of the floor. Um, and I think we're we're really starting to figure out exactly what he is and what he can be best for this team. You know, we found out that he, you know, he's not gonna be he's not gonna be best served in a in a point guard type situation. You want him off the ball, but a guy who can do some things and stretches. And then Jackson Hayes, um, while, you know, he has a lot of body work to do, he still has a lot of things to do from an, uh, from a, an awareness and just overall feel of the game uh, standpoint, fundamental, so on and so forth. You know, you watched him uh, really, really show, stretch his wings as a shooter. Um, and, it, I mean, it, you, you know, you would assume that that, that part of his game is only going to get better. You know, another guy that that up and down in certain stretches, but when he got it together, when things started to turn, he seemed like somebody you could really, um, you know, invest some time with going forward, which might make the center position a little bit easier to uh, identify or figure out. But um, I mean, at worst, they both raise their value. We don't know if they're going to be on the team going forward. We don't know what David Griffin's going to do when it's all said and done. But yeah, I mean, jury's out. I don't necessarily know if that's full of it, though. You know, um, it's just, you know, it's it's up in the air. All right. The the next one I'm going to kind of gloss over because it's kind of the same thought line here. Um, Milwaukee's 2020 first round pick, which turned into R.J. Hampton. Could have been Emmanuel quickly. Could have been Desmond Bain. Uh, there, there were a number of players in there, but it's it's another one where the jury's still out. You, you don't know what those players are going to become. They've definitely shown significant flashes, but it's year one. Let's get to number 10. I think this one is a more clear cut within the definition of questionable. Signing Nicolo Melli. Uh, this year, his numbers, two points per game, 25.4% from the floor, 18.9% from three. Uh, you're not going to hit on every free agent, so, so you, can't, you can't kill the front office over that. But they definitely could have used that money this year. Um, at any point, you know, they 
I, I don't know if they could have moved him. They obviously moved him to Dallas, but maybe they needed Reddick as part of that deal to get off of him. But they definitely could have used that $4 million to to shore up their depth. Um, and it's just one of those where it's just a, a swing and a miss, and every front office has one, Chris. Yeah, um, you know, you know, he was a guy, you know, at, at the time that, you know, we we thought would come in and you know provide provide shooting for a team that needed it then and still needs it, um, and you know maybe, I mean, at, at that particular time, you know, you you know you wondered how much small ball five can Zion play? That's a guy that's going to work very well next to him, but you know we saw that defensively he really didn't offer you much. We saw offensively. If he wasn't, you know, I mean, turnaround fades and, you know, uh, the ability to stretch the floor was his biggest, you know, uh, positive for the team. But you're talking about a guy who just didn't shoot the ball enough, you know, didn't have confidence issues. And um, if things weren't falling completely his way, would pass up several shots that the team could not afford to have him do while being on the floor. So just an unfortunate miss. And, you know, it's it's that's you know, tied to something like, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's tied to Christian Wood and, you know, uh, you know, what ended up becoming Jackson Hayes and, you know, Derek Favors not working, then, you know, Stephen Allen. I mean, it's all a part of that of that position, that that area, that four or five spot, you know, the Pelicans trying to figure out. And uh, it's just unfortunate that that is along with a few other misses that have, you know, happened as of recent within the past two years. Welcome to the conversation, William Samsonite Ogburn. Uh, if anybody wants to throw in their two cents in the chat or raise your hand and I can bring you up on stage if you want to debate any of these, uh, the floor is open. Number nine is keeping J.J. Redick into the 2021 season. James Smith wants to get in here. I'm guessing it's about Melly. Get on in here, James. What's your take? Well, I mean, I understand the whole Melly thing. Um, I just... I guess it's one of the things where I don't really see it as that big of a deal because it was a, someone that you was bringing in from overseas that apparently had been having a lot of requests to come over, but he had didn't decide until now to come over because of um uh, uh I can't think of our GM name. I'm sorry right now. Um, Tracy um, Langdon. Tracy, thank thank you, Tracy Langdon. Um, they had a connection, so he came over for that. I get the four million dollars, but it's like. Four million dollars really don't get you a lot in the NBA these days, unless it's like, you know, me. Uh, like you may get a, I don't know, league minimum guy that may help you. So I'm not really tripping too much on that. Um, I get the disappointment, and I think like uh, Chris said earlier, it was like, well, he was a guy that was supposed to be like a stretch big, and you didn't know how Zion was going. Like everybody was saying, you know, he's going to play the five. Uh, be a small ball five. So we got guys that we thought that could help in that situation. And last year he, you know, was okay. And then this year it seemed like he just couldn't find his shot. So, I mean, I don't really see that as a big of a loss as could be. Because, like I said, I don't really see what you could have done with $4 million that much. Like, I well, just, go ahead. Well, well, here's the thing, though, James, because – it's not that, like, to me, it's not that, like, the price tag isn't necessarily it until you look at the fact that, you know, um, who knows what they could have paid Christian Wood if they wanted to keep him at that time before he was put in the spot where he was going to make as much money as he made from Houston this year. 
my thing was this. I you didn't you didn't see you didn't have enough time to really see where Christian Wood what he was going to be, but you saw certain physical tools, you saw things jump out, jump out right away. A guy who could protect who, who could protect the rim, he could move, he can switch, he can shoot, he can he can shoot a little bit. He offers you some type of uh one on one one on one offense out of the post, whether it be facing up or backing or, or backing down pretty decent rebounder. I mean, there were there, there was enough there to where I don't think they should have been in a spot to where they X'd him out. Whether or not they meant to do it or not, you know, the guy there was there should have been something there in regards to communication or the guys that were there evaluating talent to say, okay, we at least have to give this guy a run in training camp. We 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 at worst now you know, I, I think I think it was Grubb that mentioned, you know, before that, you know, Christian had felt that he had earned time already. I mean, you know, he felt that he had earned the chance to uh, to play 15, 20 plus minutes for the team already. If that was the case, if it was a if it was a money thing that, you know, I get it. But it kind of hurts a little bit more because you don't know, because at that time, Christian wasn't making enough money. It's it's easy to look at it now and be like, well, you know, that four mil could have went to Christian. It could have went somewhere else. You know, uh, it's all revisionist history now. But I think that's that that's all tied together and why people might look at Melly and be like, you know, even more and say, damn, that was a hell of a miss. Well, see, that's, that's see, that was the, the other thing too that I'm going to point is like, if this was the same staff, then I, I understand your point is that they saw him enough enough to where you probably could have like, okay, we're gonna keep him. And see what happens happens next year, and I, and maybe Alvin Gentry, because like I said, we know that Alvin Gentry apparently had a decent relationship with uh, Griff coming in. Like maybe he just didn't bat for him enough to where like, hey, what you think about this dude? Like, ah, right, he all right. Like, well, shit. I mean, maybe we shouldn't. I mean, if you just not really batting for him there like that, maybe we should move forward on it. Like, we don't necessarily know the back end of it to say that that maybe necessarily miss. Obviously, maybe a miss now because of how well he played in Detroit and he was playing well in uh, Houston until he ended up getting hurt. And obviously yeah. type of uh, five would be someone that would have worked well with Zion this year compared to Adams or whatever it may be. Yeah. But at the same time, a GM coming in and having to, I guess, evaluate a guy that's only played eight games for this team. I, mean, I get the money not a lot, so you probably was not – it was a low risk. I get that point. But I don't necessarily see it as huge of a miss. I think that's more of like you said, a revisionist history thing of, oh, we could have had him and we could have signed him. Like, yeah, we probably could have, but I'm not gonna kill them for that because I understand why they probably just didn't take that chance. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't blame them. I mean, I don't necessarily blame them for it. I mean, it's it's not me. I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate and I can see I can see both sides how, you know, how one side, you know, may say, damn, damn we missed out and and the other side is saying um, you know, in that if you're in that position, if you're in Trajan Langdon's spot, David Griffin's spot, you know, that was a hard decision. Um, when you just, you know, got the got the bad side of it when you see how uh some of the guys you brought in played versus the guy you let go play. But, you know, it happens, man. No, thanks for your time, James. Uh we're gonna move along. If you wanna jump in and talk some more Melly or anything else, please just unmute yourself at any time. Uh, we'll get to number nine, JJ Redick, uh, keeping him into the 2021 season. He mentioned on his podcast that basically as soon as Drew was gone, he wanted out too. Um, 
he was linked to New Orleans because of Drew Holiday, also because of his kinship with Trajan Langdon. But uh, uh, I, I had a quote in front of me, or it's linked in the article. Basically, JJ went to David Griffin in November and he said, hey, you guys aren't contending. I'd like to be closer to home. And apparently David Griffin told him that was OK and he was going to work to get him there. But at that point in time, it would have been the best it, the best time to just move him directly then. And here's what you got Reddick saying after that point. I don't think you're going to get honesty from that front office. That's not an opinion. I just don't think you're going to get it. I don't think what happened with me necessarily is an isolated incident. Anyway, we've, we've talked to death around this. Um, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a bit of privilege in, in Reddick's conversation here because he is under contract. He did sign the contract just about 18 months ago. So he, he doesn't necessarily have the power here, but it's not a good look for the franchise is, is the bottom line. And if you were intent on moving Reddick, the best time would have been in the offseason because he just came off a staggering bubble performance where he shot 46.2% from three on nine attempts per game. He shot 45.3% from the season. Just He was a very effective offensive player for the Pelicans last year. And you probably could have gotten some kind of return. But even, Chris, if you're not going to get a significant return, you probably don't want to bring a veteran into your season who is already hell-bent on leaving. So I put that as the number nine questionable David Griffin um, decision. What's your thought on that? Uh, another another situation that just you know um, you know the Pelicans got the got the bad side of it. I mean, uh, on on one end, Griff is trying to, and you know the, the organization in total, they they're trying to develop young talent while still putting out a roster with a few veterans that can compete for a playoff spot. They're trying to do both. So well, okay, if they don't make the playoffs, they you know they just miss out. Okay, we're a young team, and if we make the playoffs, you know, you, you make the playing game, you know. Um, you know, well, you know, we this is what we expected to do. That's kind of both sides of the of the coin here. Um, when I look at JJ's situation, I mean, hey, you know, we were all even if you didn't expect Eric Bledsoe to be um, good. OK, let's say, you know, I mean, at worst, you expected, I think, at least an average player. And there were some nights and you could say most nights he was a bad basketball player. And that, that seemed to take out so much of what this season could have been in combination with how Steven Adams did or didn't work and some, you know, some of the other things that, you know, that happened throughout the year. Uh, Lonzo Ball getting off to a, to a, to a rough start and ha- having different up and, de- up and downs throughout the year, hot stretch, cold stretch, back and forth. Um, it, you know, what J.J. was interesting is that, you know, you draft Kyra Lewis, you have Nikhil Alexander-Walker off of off of your bench you uh you have you have lines of ball you have Eric Bledsoe I mean the, the team was so guard heavy um you would have liked to be in a spot where you could devote some of that time if you weren't going to send Kyra Lewis to the you know to the G League um man I, I you know I think the team thought that they would that they would get a decent play out of their veterans to where JJ could be a part of they could kind of hold off him wanting to maybe wanting to, to get out away from the team, whatever the case may be. That's what they were hoping for. And it didn't happen. Um, now, what Griff ended up telling J.J., I mean, I, you know, n- none of us were there to know exactly how, that, how those conversations went. Um, but I do agree with you. If you knew coming into the season, this is a guy that does not want to be here once you traded Drew Holiday and you already have invested a draft pick, uh, well, another draft pick in a guard, you have to figure out what you're doing with Lonzo. You got to figure out what you're doing with Josh Hart contract-wise. It would have made sense to trade, J.J., because you're only going to have so 
you have so many minutes in your rotation to give to your guards as is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to touch on a comment from our friend Waka Waka Wakanda, Christopher. And he makes a good point that maybe it was very difficult to trade for uh, J.J. Reddick because I think he was earning around $13 million. Uh, he's not known as a defender. He's not really a part of a team's future. Maybe a contender would want him to shore up their shooting, but there's not a lot of contenders who had a lot back to send. Of course, the Pelicans managed to get... Um, JJ and uh, Wesley Wounded, which I thought was a good trade. And Chris, if that trade is available to you in the offseason, is that enough to move Reddick? Or is, or in hindsight, do you think if that's the trade that's on the table, you're like, no, we'll just keep him? That's a good question, man. Uh, um, I think I think at the time I I probably would have been okay with it, especially knowing everything. If we if we if we find out going forward, you know, well, JJ didn't want to be there anyway. Um, now his play throughout the year, I mean, just wasn't good enough to, uh, get much more anyway. I think coming off of the season in which he had last year, maybe you end up getting better. So maybe there's a few folks that say, uh, but James Johnson was the kind of guy that I thought the team, you know, a lot of us said that they needed, right. They needed more attitude. They needed, you know, a mixture of veterans, but a guy who could offer something on the defensive side of the floor, make the right plays. And there was a stretch of time where, where James, you know, did that. He's not a guy, you know, his, his play started to dip a little bit as you, you depended on him in a starting role. Um, the shooting started to, uh, you know, he, he got off to a decent stretch shooting the ball from deep. That went away. He didn't, he, he was, he became shy uh, from when it, when it came down to him taking long range jumpers as the season went on and his minutes started to go up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think even at that particular time, Looking at just all the guards that they had, and if I'm knowing that they're going to commit trying to give Kyrie Lewis, Kyrie Lewis Jr. some time, um, and just the, the decisions that they had to make, you know, the, from an evaluation standpoint on Lonzo and Josh, um, and then you still have Nikhil there, and you're fitting in Eric Bledsoe, there wasn't room for, for, for J.J. Redick really at all. So, yeah, I mean, if you can get anything for him and, it, you know, you're getting a, a veteran back that you know you can probably end up giving minutes to. I, I think I would have been okay with it. Um, but, I mean, again, I, you know, we're kind of looking at it blind here because his play uh, or his lack thereof play, I mean, throughout the uh, the time that he spent in New Orleans to begin the year, you know, it kind of shifted, you know, his market when it was all said and done. All right. Thanks, guys, for your comments. Um, I think we're going to skip past number eight. If anybody really wants to talk about this, we can. It's just about managing Zion's minutes uh, in the bubble. He played 15 minutes the first game, 14 minutes the second game. And you could just tell as the games went along when the players saw that, you know, David Griffin wasn't really going to insert Zion the way that he had previously. The, the, the players kind of quit. So at that point, I would think you either give him, you know, 20, 25 minutes, close the games with him at the very least, or just don't play him at all. Uh, that's just my two cents. If anybody really wants to debate that one, you're welcome to. But I, I think everybody here wants to talk a bit more um, about Stan Van Gundy, Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, the press conferences. So we're going to skip past that one and go straight to hiring Stan Van Gundy, Chris. Uh, I like him. He's a great interview. I think he's a smart guy. I think he has a lot of great thoughts. But I think it's well, it's it's up to you. Through the trade deadline, it was the 28th ranked defense. Um, you know, the team isn't winning the way that that we would like, but we are seeing some solid development out of guys like Kyra, Nikhil, uh, Jackson Hayes. So there are some bright spots, but then you have these reports about the players not vibing with the coach, about Brandon Ingram playing the music too loud and getting into an argument with Stan Van Gundy. So I think it's fair after one year 
to say, you know, it's not where we would like it to be. But with that being said, it could turn around very quickly. What's your stance on it? Um, I, I, I mean, look, I, I think when you're evaluating, it's, it's very difficult from my perspective to evaluate a coach um, who's, you know, coming in with so much with so much to juggle as is in regards to the team and who's going to fit into his style and uh, his roster going forward. Uh, in combination with us being in a goddamn pandemic, right, where everything is shortened, uh, you have limited practice time, your your training camp is cut apart, you know, you don't, you didn't, it was a short turnaround in regards to the season. I mean, everything just felt, you know, was minimized to where, um, you know, how do you build chemistry in the way that you want to and build uh, a familiar or a sense of um, of home in regards to what you, what you're expecting? Um, with the team in that in that type of situation it just i i think that in in his case it was tough considering what the team had just left in regards to alvin uh you got you know stan stan doesn't seem to be the uh you know they you know they used to call him a call him a nagger right but he doesn't seem to be the guy that that is that in that same that same mindset of the complaining the yelling the screaming being as hard on players as he was but I mean, even at his, which what feels more as a mild-mannered stand, it's a hell of a switch from Alvin, which was, you know, Alvin was way more of a of a player's coach. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, a, a player's coach. He was way more of a, had more of a lax style. The practices weren't as, um, from what we were told, they weren't as, they didn't have as much intensity um, as we know with Stan. You know, they may, they may practice, you know, close to an hour. And they had to. Um, if you were going to put in, put in a, an entire new system and expect these guys to pick it up, um, you know, man, I, I, it's just a rough situation, man. I mean, I don't know if it, if it would have worked great, but some of this in regards to, I mean, you know, you mentioned the defense is going to fall. It has to fall on certain players on the team. Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, those guys are your best two players. They have to consistently give a certain individual effort on that side of the floor if it's going to work at the end of the day. And that's no different from what Stan has mentioned. So, I mean, look, when you don't when you don't win, okay, when you don't win and you have certain um, expectations or it feels as if and there's some type of pressures that come with they come with a guy like Zion, of course guys are going to be upset. Of course guys are not going to or going to feel a certain kind of way. Um, and especially when someone like Stan is going to look you in your eyes and tell you, yo, you didn't, this, this didn't happen because of you, um, or you didn't bring it tonight or, or, you know, you go through the media, whatever the case may be. Um, I can see how the, how the guys or how the players felt a certain type of way about it and they were happy with it. But I mean, this is what happens when when a team doesn't perform, and you feel that there are some type of expectations that come that come with them. I mean, year two should be better. Um, I would hope, but it's hard for me to judge year one, man. Go for it, James. I I, I agree with with Chris for the uh, for the most part because I think the thing is anybody that really seems like they have an issue with Stan Van Gundy, not on as far as the team, but I'm talking about like the hiring seem like they just didn't like the hiring to begin with. So they try to find, you know, anything that is going on now to say this is the reason why he was the wrong coach. I don't think that there's a coach that would have came in this year with this team that would have probably been successful. 
I think a lot of people look at Tom Thibodeau's situation in New York and how he was able to get them to win, which is like, hey, it was a unique situation. He won. They look at Nate McMillan and how he turned around Atlanta Hawks. But I think the thing that a lot of people forget is is that not only was the staff new, or like most of the staff was new, but there was a lot of turnover in the team as well and in a short time. And then you got a very, very young team that have a lot of bad habits. And the whole reason why Stan was brought in is to correct those bad habits. Now, I am in the belief that I heard the whole B.I. situation. I hope it's not true. But I don't think a Stan situation would help that. That that seemed like a personal problem that if you're yelling at someone for, for telling you to turn the music down, like that is a respect thing. And so if that you need to look in yourself if you if you're having an issue with that. Um, but the news coming about about them not vibing with Stan Van Gundy. If we being real, that could either be one, uh, Alvin Gentry, Luke Walton trying to sit there and save their personal job that's in Sacramento. Or two, it's the situation where most of these guys have not had a coach that held them responsible. Because I bet I can guarantee you that didn't come from Zion. Because Zion is used to being coached hard. So that's not that's probably not him. But with coming to Beato, B.I., Josh Hart, uh, Lonzo Ball, they've come from Luke Walton and Alvin Gentry who didn't really keep them accountable, right? And even that being said, I want to say Zoe ended up getting into it with Luke Walton for shitting on – I mean, sorry, I didn't mean cussing, but the getting on Randall, if I remember, he, he stood up for him. But it just, it just seemed like a culture shift need to change. Like maybe there are some guys that's on this team right now that don't need to be here. It, maybe some guys that, you know, that can we can bring in and come in that understand that, you know, hey, we we here to play ball. We here to we got to do this. We got to play defense, stuff like that. I don't know who those guys are. I don't know who are the guys that's on the team currently that needs to go somewhere. I don't I don't know that. But I would rather have that shake up before I all of a sudden, you know, I want to put it all on Stan right now. Were there things Stan could do? But, yeah, like we've seen the whole timeout situation with the uh, Indiana Pacer game where he could have called a timeout and stopped it. There are there were mishaps in there, maybe some rotation thing, but it's kind of hard to really get on him about rotation because he really didn't have the talent to really help put his best rotations out. Uh, well, I mean, and look, though, I mean, it, it's it, – I think, you know, we're looking – team people people want – someone that they can point the finger at that's just i mean that that's really all it is and throughout the year you've seen fans point the finger at whoever they could i mean it, it's i mean almost everybody including zion at different parts of the year were you know were criticized when the team didn't do well and unfortunately that's what happens when you lose you know what i'm saying i mean and it doesn't it doesn't help when you know you're you're coming from the um like we mentioned, it's quite the transition from coming from one coach that is completely laxed and laid back to another one that's going to be on your ass. I mean, that's just it. Just it's 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 not fun when you are losing. Everything is you know has a has a microscope on it. And to me, I mean, I, I don't really I don't, I don't take too much from anything that comes out on a team that's losing because everybody's frustrated. If you're not frustrated, you know, I'm I'd be concerned. Um, the issue here with Brandon. And that, and what I'm interested in to um, to to really see how this goes, you know, how this uh, develops going forward, is that dating back to his first year in New Orleans, he was on coaches telling him to be hard on him. 
it's 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 what he wanted. He said, yo, cuss at me. Do whatever you have to do to motivate me. I want to be great. He said that. Okay? Well, you have a coach now that's gonna consistently do that and gonna hold you to your word. Um, it's gonna be on him and a lot of those guys on the team that are that are with the squad going forward, if they make comments like that, if they show the ability or the uh potential to play a certain way. You have to give the energy, the effort, and the overall commitment night in and night out, not just when you want to. That's how these teams end up going from at the end of a lottery or, you know, just missing the play-in to being a fourth fifth seed, which next year a lot of people I think are going to have the expectation from them or for them. No, I, there was a lot of really great points uh, that James raised. And specifically after the All-Star break or the trade deadline, the team performed, in my opinion, much better, and that's with the young guys. Uh, the defense significantly improved. We saw a lot out of Najee Marshall. JJ helped shore things up. Maybe it was just a matter of having guys in the building who were a bit more bought in than some of the ones they moved, and they can continue doing that going forward. So there, there is a lot of positives that you can take from Sam Van Gundy's season, and in a lot of ways, he wasn't necessarily set up uh, for grand success in his first year. So you could also um, allow him uh, a little freedom there. I do want to get moving to part six, if that's okay, James. If if you want to interject something real quick, go for it. Yeah, yeah, just real quick. I was going to say, though, after the All-Star break, we did see a point where it looked like that there was going to be a turnaround real quick with the team. Unfortunately, injuries just hit us. At the, you know, Nall got hurt, Hart got hurt, uh, B.I. and Zion ended up getting hurt at the same time. It looked like there was a point where they were going to um, resolve a lot of the issues that we had solved before. Man, doesn't it feel like we have injuries every single year? And this was probably the best year we had in terms of injuries. I think we just had 78 um, games lost to our starting five. I do want to get to Steven Adams because this one's going to be a bit more polarizing. Um, I thought at the time we were giving up too much for him. I don't hate the player. I think he's a solid big. I think he's probably like, I don't know, Chris, would you say like a top 20, maybe top 15 center? Just a guy that you like having there. My issue was never the player. It was always the price. Um Oklahoma City was in a position where if they didn't move him, they were going to be spending $60 million on both he and Al Horford. Not quite 60, but almost 60. Uh, they gave up a first in RJ Hampton. They ended up giving four seconds, if you include George Hill in that. Another thing that I took issue with is if you are going to move for Steven Adams, you can't move George Hill for him. You have to move Eric Bledsoe. But we're going to talk about that later because we've got two sections for Eric Bledsoe. So, and, and then, of course, there's the two-year $35 million extension that followed uh, right after. So, Chris... What was your thought at the time about what the Pelicans gave up uh, for Steven Adams, and how do you feel about it now? I, I mean, I, I didn't – I understood it. You know, um, I didn't necessarily love it, right? But I understood it. You know, you were you were in a situation where they were going to – they were just like with Favors the year prior, you were going to bring in another veteran presence to help not only um, – hold things hold things together on both sides of the floor uh whether it be from a, i mean and, and listen they wanted to in stand system they wanted to rebound the hell out of the ball they wanted to be physical um defensively that was the plan and you got a guy who could help um nurture and teach your young center that you're trying to um you know pretty much develop as as quickly as possible here in Jackson Hayes um I get it. I get why you brought in Steven Adams. Now, 
if you look at if you take Eric Bledsoe away from Steven, you probably find some things that work. But my issue at the particular time was that I I saw a guy that okay, he may be still in his twenties, but he's an old. What, I mean, what he's twenty eight, twenty nine. He's an old twenty eight year old. He's a, I mean, he has the body of a thirty five year old just based off of the the you know the type of style of basketball he's been playing and a guy that, that, that's been in the league since he was 20, 19 years old. I mean, you know, playing that style, that's hard for a guy who hasn't really added um, many ways to his game to kind of um, not have to take that, that, that pounding game in and game out over an 82, what is normally an 82 game season. So, you know, de- you know, defensively, you know, he can he can he can block a shot every now and then, but but he's not a guy that you're gonna call a rim protector, right? He's not a guy, he's not a good free throw shooter, he's not a guy then that that in space defensively can offer you much, but you know offensively he's gonna provide screens, he's gonna find ways to get other guys open. He's a very underrated passer. He has a couple things he can do with the basketball in the low post. Um, but he doesn't offer you a whole bunch and I think at a spot where the team needed flexibility. Now, I didn't know Eric Bledsoe would be this bad. And this is the problem. It wasn't that is Steven Adams alone. It's that when you compile that with Eric Bledsoe, it's hell for that team offensively. It just is. And and, and some nice defensively. Um, That was the biggest issue. Steven Adams alone can work for them. The extension I didn't necessarily like, I didn't understand, because you got to, similar to Luke Kennard in, you know, with the Clippers, you got to see how he's going to work with this team. Can he hold up and what he's going to offer you? So I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily love it, but I understood them bringing him in. It's not Adams that I hate the most, because I still think that there is something there, and there's, there's positive things he can provide you. But when you compile that with Eric Bledsoe and how this team needed to eat, on the offensive side of the floor and certain things they needed to do, that's the overall issue. And it just, it just, it didn't, it didn't work. And, you know, a lot of people similar to what, um, to what James mentioned about Stan Van Gundy, if they didn't like the, if they didn't like the uh, decision when it first happened, they damn sure weren't going to like it, you know, um, months later here, especially when, you know, you maybe could have had a guy like Miles Turner looking then and looking back um, or and looking back now is a guy that may have fit and helped your team a little bit more just with some of the other things he can offer you and what the team actually needed. All right. Uh, Bryce is joining us now. He changed his avatar, but he's back. Bryce, what do you have to say about the Adams thing? Or was there something else you wanted to mention? Um, just to kind of go back through it. I mean, so Adams, I understand. I mean, you've got Zion and Jax who are both kind of young um, and still working on their bodies. Not so much Zion, but Jackson. But to have, um, you know, Stephen Adams kind of be a big presence in the, you know, middle of the floor, uh, you know, be aggressive, keep centers off Zion, uh, rebound, you know, try to keep them kind of safe makes sense. And I guess I understand the Bloodsoe side as far as, you know, he was just all NBA uh, defense, defensive team last year. So, you know, you're giving up Drew. Um, you're hoping you can still have, you know, some defense out on the perimeter, um, you know, and thinking maybe he still has some tread on the tires and George Hill doesn't. Um, you know, the, the price for Steven Adams is kind of high, but, you know, signing him for two years, 35, that's really not a bad deal if he can, you know, stay pretty healthy. Um, that's kind of all I got for you guys on that. No, thanks so much, Bryce. No, and I, I, I don't hate the player and I don't think it's, you know, an astronomical trade. It's just for what you gave for him and what you paid for him. It's really more the team that kind of failed more so than it is the individual player with Adams on the floor. 
they graded in the 30th percentile in terms of opponent points per 100 possession, basically just meaning um, they gave up a lot of points when Adams was on the floor. But again, we're going to touch on this as we get to Eric Bledsoe. How much of the fault of that is Steven Adams? And how much of the fault of it is a player that they brought in to be an all-defensive caliber player? We didn't think we were going to get a significant drop-off from Drew. And that's, in fact, what we got. I'm just going to touch on some uh, a few numbers. Um, and this number four is keeping Eric Bledsoe. So I didn't mind so much trading Bledsoe, trading for Bledsoe, but then you have to move Bledsoe in that Steven Adams deal. Um, they didn't do that. And here's where his numbers ended uh, overall. Actually, I'm, I'm going to cover that in the failing to bench him. So here are his numbers in terms of what he's making. He made $17 million this year. He's making $18 million, uh, next year and then $4 million in 2022-2023. And if you are the Pelicans and you've got these young guys in Nikhil, you've got Kyra, um, you've got some other prospects, you've, you've got J.J. Redick on the roster, why are you bringing in Eric Bledsoe? Um, especially at that price point. Just I, I think you needed shooting from George Hill. He shot 46% from three last year. He's essentially an aspiring contract. But uh, I'll, I'll let Chris jump in on this, and I know a lot of people will probably have takes. I think even more egregious than keeping Eric Bledsoe is never benching him at any point in the season. And we can touch on that next. But Chris, what was your thought at the time of acquiring Bledsoe? What was your thought about keeping him over George Hill? Um, at the time, I didn't necessarily, I didn't mind it. Um, but it, but but like you mentioned, it was some of the things that happened afterwards that didn't that I didn't necessarily understand. Uh, because you know, I was hoping that a guy like Dante. DiVincenzo was coming in was coming in a deal like that would have been to me yeah. a better fit um just off the bat you know a glue guy um someone who does pretty much of everything on the floor um some nights he's gonna really he's gonna really help you but even even if he has a bad night he's never gonna really hurt you and they needed more guys like that I mean he's um I don't think he's been in the league very very long but you know, he's someone that, you know, when you watch him play, you know, he looks as if he's a 10-year vet. You know, he plays above his, uh, you know, his tenure. And that would have been a really good fit. Like, that was the type of situation I was looking at. Because it felt like it was it was centered around picks. Um, if you could have gotten George Hill and Dante, and Dante, uh, Vincenzo, that would have been, that would have been something that I would have liked a little bit more. Even then at the time, because Bledsoe comes in with a reputation. He comes in with a guy who, um, you know, comes in as a guy who is, um, you know, he expects to um, contribute in certain ways when he wasn't going to be, be able to or, or allowed to be able to do that in New Orleans. You know, one of the biggest things that I think hurt Bledsoe, and we talked about it after the trade deadline, is that he's a guy who needs the basketball in his hands and he needs a certain amount of space to be able to um, to really get his game and or get the most out of him, pick and rolls and that type of situation. When you're off the ball, and, you know, you're you're the fourth guy, the fourth option in an offense most nights or some nights. Um, it's just not going to work. And we, but we saw, for example, in the Toronto game earlier in the earlier in the year or, or to begin the year when he he had multiple um, multiple possessions where plays were being ran up for him. Stan even talked about it. OK, the ball, the ball was in his hand. Confidence, confidence was moving and everything was working for him. But then you have nights where he's only taking a few shots. Um, and you know, you know, he's getting, when he does get the basketball, it's at the end of the shot clock. It's, you know, uh, as a spot up shooter, that's not his game. It's, it's, it's just not going to work for him. It, it's no, um, it's, it's no coincidence that to end the year, um, he played a lot better 
at least from a, a you know having them stay in games like the Philadelphia game, the LA game. Some of that had to do with him just feeling more comfortable out there on the floor and being used to, um, you know, having a chance to contribute in ways he's done throughout his career. It just didn't work. Um, but if you could have got a guy, I, I know you guys mentioned earlier or someone in the comments, they said, um, well, George Hill didn't, didn't want to be in New Orleans. Well, shit, did he want to be in Oklahoma City? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for the period he was there, I mean, I, you know, I think that they, I, I don't know a hundred percent how uh, that situation fell apart, but you just feel as if that there could have been, um, you know, a different style of, um, I guess, acquisition that they could have gotten from Milwaukee that could have helped the team right away. Could have been a lot cheaper, and you wouldn't have been in this situation. I didn't like it then, and I damn sure don't like it now. The benching part, you know, I think you said you know we'll talk about it later. But, you know, I mean, um, it, it just, and then, you know, for him, you know, he's, he's coming in and people were saying, yo, well, he's not that much worse than Drew Holiday. I mean, that's tough for a guy that's, you know, been in the league for 10 years now, man, you know, to come in and have to immediately be, be compared to somebody else. Um, you know, you would have liked him to play better. I can't make any, make any, any excuses for him, but just a bad fit all around. This is going to be your Michael Jordan flu game, Chris, uh, battling the hangover and still coming in strong for an hour. Uh, I, I've got some of the numbers. We can jump forward to the benching thing. It, you know, at the time, I, I totally get uh, Eric Blitzo's struggles in the playoffs, and I was foremost, I think, against retaining him. But I, I can see how you could sell yourself on it. Um, you know, he's a guy who just came off a year, all defensive team. He had been a part of a winning culture. Uh, you bring him in, and you expect to get that player, and you don't get that player. But that's where we get to number three. And why did the Pelicans fail to bench him at any point in the season? Even even if you do think he can turn things around, at some point you've got young guys that you need to make decisions on. Uh, you want to get some reps for for Na and Kyra. But more importantly than that, like you need to make critical decisions on Lonzo and Josh Hart, not just as players, but how they fit with some of these young guys. You have to have Lonzo and Na on the floor more. And you can't do that when you're playing Eric Bledsoe 28 to 32 minutes a game. And here was his effect. It's not like he was helping the team win. Uh, he ranked 64th among all guards, uh, according to ESPN's Real Plus Minus, 130th overall per synergy. He was 284th in the NBA. Defensively, that's what you think his calling card is going to be, especially with Steven Adams as the anchor. He graded in the 16th percentile, 16th. Uh, that's That's in terms of how many points opponents are scoring per 100 possessions. According to Clean the Glass, the Pelicans would have won eight games more if he had never played a single minute. And obviously, like, you know, you, you take all these numbers with a grain of salt. That is exactly what they are. They're numbers. It's, it's, not, it's not to be perceived as, as what you see when you look at the court. This is just to help support my argument. But, of course, there's going to be something out there to support yours. And, and I look forward to hearing from you. But, Chris, from my point of view, even if you think he can turn things around, even if you want that veteran presence on the floor, you have to, at some point, hold some accountability for some of the late game uh, mishaps, like the New York Knicks is the first one that comes to mind. And more so than that, you have to, at some point in the season, when you discover that you're not contending, you have to start thinking about the future. Yeah, no, I mean, and and I think um, right around the trade deadline, we talked about this too. And I, I what I wonder is, and I've, I really, I have a theory that I feel as if if Lonzo doesn't get hurt right before the right before the All Star break, and then after the All Star break, if Nikhil doesn't get hurt, there's a situation where we, where we maybe see Bledsoe go into a six man kind of role, seventh man, depending on you know how you see him and Josh Hart at the time. 
I, I, I'm really curious if that was possibly on the table. Um, because yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, and it wasn't just in that, in that, um, in that Knicks game. I mean, there were, there were other games throughout the year where, where Eric just looked lost sometimes to, you know, did at the, in the basketball games where he's doing too much. He's getting caught with the basketball in his air, in the air, trying to, trying to make a pass late. Um, just, you know, in, in a situation where he should probably, instead of trying to make the plays that he's making, letting someone else do it. But Bledsoe, in his mind, um, you know what I mean? He just came from a winning situation in Milwaukee. Um, and I think I, I think that, that at some point, and it will happen, I, I don't know when, but Bledsoe's going to have to look in the mirror and realize what he is right now at this point of his career. And we just got a chance to see it um, up close. Uh, you know, physically, there was somewhat of a decline um, in regards to him being able to create um, you know, one on one. That wasn't always the case. Bledsoe used to be able to 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 drive and get past guys and create for himself and others. He's not that same guy anymore. And at his size, with the lineups that he was in, it just wasn't it, it wasn't going to work. It wasn't best for him. It wasn't best for others. What we talked about and what made the boat and what made the most sense with the way that starting lineup was playing, put him on the bench and allow him to have the basketball in his hand, draw up for draw plays for him then. Or put him in lineups where he's not surrounded around guys where he's going to be the third or fourth option. That's not like they weren't putting him in the best in the, the best situation to thrive, and he wasn't helping the team when he was out there. Neither side was working. So yeah, I do I do agree with you, Preston. I mean, they're in a weird situation because they want to trade him, so you have to play him. But at what point do you say, okay, this isn't working? We it sucks that we can't start him. It sucks that a guy who just made enough, you know, an all NBA defensive team. We have to put him somewhere else. What do we do? Well, at some point, it's up to them. It's up to them as a, as a staff and organization to say, all right, if it's not starting, let's put him here. Because nine times out of ten, Bledsoe isn't going to be starting for any other basketball team going forward. He's more than likely going to be on a reserve in a result a reserve role um, as his career continues to go on. So, you know, maybe this this was the time to look at that. It just once again, injuries getting away because there, there's a chance, there's an opportunity right there when Nikhil Alexander-Walker playing as well as he was, when Lonzo comes back to put him right in the starting lineup, you put, you put Lonzo there, you keep, all, you keep all in the lineup and you have Bledsoe in the reserve row, but they couldn't do it because as soon as Lonzo's getting ready to come back, Nikhil gets hurt. You're right back in the situation that you're always in. Yep, great stuff from Chris. And Bryce brought it up too. Um, injuries played a factor. I can't believe how fast this hour has gone. I have to go in seven minutes. So if anybody wants to interject, uh, you can. I'm going to skip the David Griffin press conferences one, number two. Uh, please read it on thebirdrights.com. Just mentioning some of his quotes during his tenure in New Orleans and beforehand and how maybe they aren't serving the franchise the way he intends them to. But I think we can all agree that the most important part of any, his number one job, his only job, uh, as executive vice president, is just to make Zion happy. And I think just based on some of the comments at, at the end of the season when he was mentioning the definition of insanity, when he said, it's disappointing, I'd be lying to you if I said anything else, um, it's natural for a young player who doesn't make the playoffs to be frustrated. So you don't have to take anything away from it more than that. But I, I think what this comes down to in 2021, 2022 is you have to make him happy. And what does that look like? He mentioned he would love Lonzo back. He also obviously wants to be in the play-in. He mentioned the play-in three times. So what is the path in 2021, 2022 to making sure this guy isn't ending the season feeling frustrated again, Chris? 
Well, I mean, the first thing that you ended up mentioning, I, I, I think Zion went out his when he went out his way more than anybody I've seen. And Brandon talked about Lonzo a lot as well. But he went out of his way. And when I say he, I mean Zion went out of his way to mention Lonzo as many chances as he got um, repeatedly, you know, about how important their relationship is. I don't think that that was by accident. You know, Zion knows what he's doing when he when he says stuff like that. I think, you know, even at a young age, he's very calculated with the things that he says. He knows that people are watching him. He studied Michael Jordan and LeBron James in more ways than just some of the things that they were able to do on the basketball floor. You see, by the way, he handles some of these interviews. You know, Zion's very careful with the things he says. For him to go out his way to speak about Lonzo repeatedly, you have to find a way to bring him back. Unless it's something the way even Zion is like, okay, they're paying him twenty. You know, New York is offering him twenty-eight mil. You know, I'm just throwing just throwing a random number out there. Of of, of course, you can't do that. Um, outside outside of that, uh, Preston, you know, you know, um, offensively, you got an idea of what he's going to be going going for. And look, with a talent like him, that will probably end up changing and continuing to to expand and develop. We know that. Uh, making him happy is finding a way to win. That's all he really cares about going forward. You know it's killing him right now watching John Morant in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, it, it absolutely has to. Um, watching a team where, you know, the Pelicans just out, out flat dominated, you know, the past two years in Memphis be the, the overall better team. So you got to find a way to put the best guys around him, and that's going to involve you getting rid of a guy like – um, like Eric Bledsoe, you adding more shooting for more spacing opportunities for him. You putting more defenders on the floor so that you know so the team doesn't. I mean, you you know you have an idea. Even if you know we think that Zion will be a better defender, and Brandon Ingram has the tools, they need more guys that can throw out there that can uh, provide things for you when when those guys aren't aren't giving it to you. Certain lineups that are going to fit. We saw. Um, as the team started to get better, guys like Winnie and Gabriel come out there and provide you a lot on that side of the floor. We talked about Nikhil Alexander-Walker earlier. You know, those are those are going to be, um, you know, Najee Marshall, perfect, perfect guy going for it. You, you know, they, they hit a home run with that one. You know, uh, while we talked about a lot of misses here, that's a good make right there. Um, you know, but you, you know, you have to make a really good move, I think, in the offseason. It may be shrewd or it may be, you know, uh, you know, for a sizable upgrade in talent somewhere. But you have to show him one way or another this offseason. We are we are serious about winning. We're going for it this year. No more of what we saw the you know past the, the first two years of middling defense. We're going for it this year. This year we are all in. We have to win. And that's how you make a guy like him happy. And hopefully from there, I think he's he's smart enough and more and self-aware to take responsibility when he isn't doing the right things on the floor. They have the talent. It's time to make the right moves, the right basketball fits, and they have to win this year. All right, friends. I got to go. Does anybody, uh, it looks like James wants to hop in. James, make yourself be heard. Go for it, bud. Uh, no problem. I, I was just sitting there like this going off uh, what Chris was saying, too, is that like I think. If, if anything came out good of this the last two years is the fact that one we saw growth in Zion we saw what a lot of these players can and cannot do uh fortunately with Eric Blesso he is in an expiring contract type situation so he shouldn't be too hard to get up off of going on to this season um as much as people hated the Adam stuff we could sit there and say okay he's not 
going twenty nine million gets the cap. He's sixteen to seventeen million dollars, so it's a lot cheaper and probably a lot easier to move. We got a boatload Buku of picks, as Chris said, Buku of picks. Um, where and I understand people panic as far as like AD and CP three situation, but we are in a lot, lot better situation this going around than we have been in any other situation. Unfortunately, we have a um, GM that is not handicapped by ownership, as maybe Dell Dems may have been for a good part of his career. And we also have an owner who who, said, who has said that she is willing to spend as long as we are winning. So I I expect, like Chris said, this year they're going to – Go all in. And I think there may be a move or a couple moves that not even we can imagine that David Griffin may end up pulling out out of nowhere that would say, oh, shoot, like maybe this was the vision the whole time. So, I mean, I'm excited to see what happened this offseason and hopefully, you know. It- yeah, absolutely. There's great reason for optimism uh, for, you know, all the the decisions that we're questioning right now. There's so many opportunities for them to turn it all around. If they bring back Lonzo on a good deal and he, you know, outperforms expectations next year, if Brandon Ingram and Zion just buy in and play a little bit better defensively, uh, if they hit on a top 10 pick or if they're able to move Eric Bledsoe with a top 10 pick for for a veteran guy who immediately comes in and contributes, there's a lot of great things uh, that can happen that can easily make this team uh, a playoff team going forward. So there's still a lot uh, to be excited about and hopeful about. Najee Marshall was another great find, as as Chris mentioned. So thanks again so much for listening. Thanks so much for supporting the Bird Calls. Uh, we love and appreciate you guys. Uh, and we'll be back with our big show with Fish, Ollie, and Grub pretty soon. But for now, let's dance and let's go Pels. listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today